Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert Don Pizzette, DevOps engineer Justin Dennison, security specialist Daniel Lowry, and Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette, and it is a very special episode of Technado. It is actually the 150th episode. So congratulations to everyone. Congratulations, Don. First of all, I think you've been on the most of them as it is the Technado with Don Pizzette. I bet if we went back and tallied it up that you might have been in more than I have. Well, I know you've missed a couple, but... No, he's he's missed because there was a, a, a stretch of weeks there where it was me and you yeah, for a the, while. The dark weeks. Yeah, the dark week. <laughs> Man, that is technology, isn't it? We don't anyway. Those times. <laughs> yeah, it actually, so it started with, was it, Don, was it you and Wes on the first episode? I don't remember. It was a long time ago. It might have yeah. been Mike and I. Uh, yeah, maybe so. But uh, there was a few where you had different different guests. Then I came on and the, and the ratings started going up. And then uh, <laughs> and Justin came on and that's when it like, kind of flatlined. And then, uh, and then Daniel's come on and we're waiting to kind of see um, the result from that. But uh, congratulations to, to all of you on number 150 and, and to all of you at home who I'm sure have uh, watched or listened to each and every episode. Thank you. You're the, you're the reason, Mom, that this, uh, that this is happening. So. You're the wind beneath our wings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Must have been cold there in my shadow. But uh, we're joined today by uh, a very special guest. We have Mike Roderick, who is one of the edutainers at IT Pro TV and a uh, Microsoft expert. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on the show. Excited about being on number 150. Yeah, and this is uh, also the start of PowerShell month at IT Pro TV, where we're kind of focusing some different webinars and topics and things about, uh, about PowerShell. So we said, hey, you know, Mike's heard of that. So... Let's I bring can spell it. Oh, no. You can spell it. Perfect. It's Mike cap- cares about PowerShell. Is it a capital S? Yeah. yeah one I word? believe so. Okay. Typically. Good. Well, let's get to know Mike a little bit more in our first segment, Rapid Fire Questions. Who do you work for? What's new? Who are you? What's happening? What's wrong with you? All right, Mike, here's five questions coming at you. You got 45 seconds to a minute to answer them. You run over time. Peter's going to buzz you. We're going to move on. Peter, let's go ahead and start with question one. All right, Mike. So, you know, you're kind of known around here as the Microsoft guy, but Microsoft is a big company. You've got, you know, Xbox, you've got Office, Server, all that kind of stuff. Where do you fall in? What, what, do, you, uh, what are you most passionate about when it comes to Microsoft? Uh, currently, that would have to be PowerShell as well as Windows Virtual Desktop, a new uh, desktop as a service that Microsoft's really pushing out. Uh, got a new release. The spring 2020 update just came out. Uh, so that is where I'm spending a lot of my time in Azure uh, and working with Windows Virtual Desktop. So with this tumultuous 2020 year, uh, can you just give us an overview of some of the topics that you've covered at IT Pro TV, uh, maybe since the beginning of the year, maybe the end of the year, because things have, have gone astray so far? They have. They've made things a little bit more difficult. But I tell you right now, again, Windows Virtual Desktop being a big one, that got uh, released GA back in fall of 2019. Uh, just came out with a major update to that. Now we can manage everything through the Azure portal. Very cool. Use our ARM resources. Uh, or ARM resource templates, and we, uh, um, uh, the Windows Admin Center, uh, really changing the way we, we manage our both in-house servers as well as our Azure VMs. Uh, everything can be done through that just about, and so uh, a lot of time there. I've done a, a couple of uh, webinars recently on that, a couple of blog posts on the Windows Virtual Desktop, uh, and then, of course, some PowerShell and Windows Terminal. we got to throw that in there. 
uh, because as we work with Windows PowerShell, Windows Terminal is a kind of a container for all of our shells. So we can switch back and forth between Windows PowerShell, PowerShell 7, Bash, different uh, uh, Linux shells. So very cool stuff there. All right, Mike. Now, um, when Steve Ballmer handed the reins over to Satya Nadella, it kind of ushered in a new era for Microsoft. So we've seen Office 365, which is killing it right now. Azure, which has really made some headway on AWS. We've got Microsoft doing open source, like all sorts of weird things that we probably never would have seen under the old guard. So what what would you say has surprised you the most about today's Microsoft? Um, I'm going to have to say Chromium-based Edge for that one. I mean, who would have thought you know, IE has been a, um, a staple in Microsoft for a long, long time. I know I've not, I'm not a developer, but I've, I've heard developers work with them talking about what a pain it was to develop code uh, for all browsers and then develop it again for IE. And Microsoft just seemed unwilling to follow the standards to make it easy to work with. And now here we are in 2020. And I've got a Chromium-based Edge browser that I can actually go to the Google Store and install extensions from there. Who would have thought, right? I mean, you never would have thought that a year, not even a couple years ago. Didn't think it was going to happen. Now, Mike, uh, in March, we did a bracket on the operating systems on, you know, what we liked. I remember it was a lot of fun to figure out which one <laughs> I was going to land on. I assume that you landed on some form of, of Windows platform. If so, which one did you land on and why did you choose it? You know, I'll say Windows 10. I mean, it's probably the obvious choice, but... Um, it really is the culmination of everything that they've done since Windows XP. XP was a, one of my faves for a long time. Uh, Windows 7, I thought was really good. Windows Vista definitely took a veer. I mean, they were trying a lot of new things. Um, it, they fell short in a couple places, but some of it worked. And then with, with Windows 8.1, they started to rein things back in. And Windows 10 really is kind of a culmination of all of that. You see all of the things that were good over those last few versions, culminating in Windows 10. Um, so Windows 10 slash Server 19, because they really are uh, very similar. But uh, yeah, Windows 10 for sure. That would be my favorite. Um, I love using it as my daily driver. Uh, I really have no complaints uh, about it. I like it. All right. And so uh, lastly, you just played uh, Spin It to Win It just the other day. We're, we're kind of doing a game show thing in, in May as well. Where we, we had, I, I can't call it Wheel of Fortune because it wasn't, uh, but it was an no. IT uh, version of that, and uh, first of all, way I heard too you... many lose, way too many lose turns on that wheel. If you ask me, <laughs> yeah, so so I wanted to ask you what your favorite Sheryl Sandberg quote is. <laughs> who? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, came, for those who didn't see, it came down to to uh, there were the three of you guessing, and we, I mean, first of all, Sheryl Sandberg is a is a weird name if, when you take some of the letters out because it does not look like anything you would expect. But boy, oh boy, That's... you were down to what, like an L. And I, I think so. I had the H left on the first name. I was like, okay, that's got to be Cheryl. Uh, and then the last word, last word, I think we had San and like the RG maybe or something yeah. like that, or the UR. Um, and it was uh, it was just not clicking for me. And the category I, was I got tech lucky, giants. I'll tell you. Yeah, so I thought it was going to be a company. but So yeah. definitely thought it was going to be a company. I need to find out who... Who came up with that? <laughs> I know. Who threw that in? Yeah, so it, you know, tech giants, <laughs> Microsoft, Google, or if you went with a person. So, you know, I was watching it live with Wes, and uh, it, we were prepared for it to be a person because tech giants was used earlier, and the answer was Steve Jobs, right? right? So we were already thinking like a person, but neither of us knew who Sheryl Sandberg was, never even heard the name. And so... 
at first I was embarrassed, like, oh, should I know who this person is? But then we started asking around, and no one knew who this lady was. Uh, I and, take it it wasn't you that put the answer in there. <laughs> no, oh, I, I, I know who did it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I only know of her because she's spoken at a couple of conferences I've been at. So, like, the name has, has stuck out, and I've heard, oh, yeah, the, she's from, from Facebook and that. But, um, but yeah, I don't know about tech, tech giant, um, you know, because she's current, and it's kind of hard to put somebody in the Hall Who is Cheryl Sandberg? Oh, that was Peter's third-grade teacher that uh, showed him how to use an <laughs> yeah. Apple IIe. So, you know, to me, a giant, so that's why I put her in there. I did not make the categories. Uh, I will point that out. All right. Well, uh, thank you. And now I feel like I know Mike better than uh, than I ever expected to. Um, so let's go ahead now and get to our next segment where we're going to talk about uh, some some news that is related to, you know, stuff that uh, that Mike knows about. So let's do that. Oh, that's good. New tech this week. We got the scoop. All right. So it's called new tech this week, but uh you know, you got to go back a little bit to get some some good PowerShell news. But uh, this is this is from uh, March of this year, which really I think time has has slowed down with everything that's going on, and no one knows what what day it is. So let's just run with it. Uh, but PowerShell seven uh, is commercially available now, commercially released. Uh, and this this like I said back in in early mid uh, mid March. So uh, you know, for for someone like me, that's 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 not big news. But I I remember Mike, you were just running around the office that day. Uh, extremely excited. So, uh, what stands out to you in in PowerShell seven? He said a small fire. I yeah. saw him. The nudity I, was I, a little much. I, yeah. yeah. I tell you what, it was an exciting day for all of us. Now, I'll tell you, oddly enough, one of the biggest things is, is the the name change, right? We we've had some confusion. Windows, uh, or you have Windows PowerShell, you have PowerShell Core, which was PowerShell six, and there was always this confusion about what we should call it. PowerShell 7, it, it does drop the core part of it. Um, so that's one nice thing is we now know what it's called. Um, there's no more windows in the name. There's no more core in the name. It's just PowerShell. Um, but there are, uh, with power with that, you know, it's obviously PowerShell was designed, PowerShell 7 is designed to be cross-platform. Uh, and, and that's huge. You know, we, we uh, you guys asked me a question about that earlier, about the, the new age in Microsoft and the, the willingness and the working with others and things like that. And this is a really good example of that, right? They're they're creating this, they've designed this to work across multiple platforms, to be able to manage uh, multiple platforms, not just Windows. They they realize that not everybody runs Windows, that not all your servers in your shop or out there uh, in the cloud are, are running Windows, and you need to be able to manage them. They want to be that management interface. Now, Mike, uh, I'm so kind of curious. Uh, you know, when I heard about that news, I, I use a lot of Linux machines, and so having a Linux version of PowerShell to be able to manage those Azure assets or whatever that makes sense. And if I were a Mac user, then uh, having it available on the Mac makes sense. But for you, because you're, you know, you're a Windows stalwart, right? So you, you've got Windows on your desktop, and you're usually working with Windows servers. Does that multi-platform stuff like give you any advantage, or it's just something that helps other people? It, you know, you, you, it does not for me <laughs> because, I <don't> <laughs> because I really don't manage other systems. It's nice to know that I could, um, you know, if we decide to spin up, uh, you know, um, something other than a, a Windows server that I would be able to manage it. Um, I, like you say, I, I'm really, I drank the Kool-Aid, so my desktop is Windows. But if I'm in a VM and I'm running a Linux distro, maybe I want to spin up PowerShell and I don't know. Bash or whatever shell might I might might have uh, in my Linux distro. I know that I could get PowerShell 
and I could throw that or maybe I'm just stuck in a scenario where I'm using somebody else's machine and, and it happens to be a, a Linux distro. Um, so being able to fire a PowerShell and being in a familiar environment, knowing the commandlets, knowing the parameters, all that, I think would be beneficial. So if you could ask uh, Jefferson Nover, the, the father of, of PowerShell, anything, if there's anything that's confusing to you, what, what would you ask him? Gosh, you know, I, I can't think of anything off of hand. He's a, a great guy. Um, met him at, at uh, Ignite in 2019. Um, follow him on Twitter. He's an amusing guy. Um, I got one for him. Yeah. Why are those commandments so damn long? I knew that was coming. <laughs> you know, I know I've heard you guys talk about that, obviously, in, in the shop, in the house there. And uh, I, I like it. I, I know they are long, but man, they're easy to remember because you know. No, they're not. That IP. <laughs> yes, they are. There's no, they're zero not. Ease to this. Yeah. Now, how do I get to system preferences? Yeah. Hold oh. on. I need, it, I need it to print get out the dash system five. I know how it's hard get. Is that? So it's but here's, here's the kicker get dash five <laughs> subsystem one dash three two one. So your mama's fat. You're not even in the right <laughs> ballpark there. Yeah. If you oh, want to get your system option. preferences, it's going to be get dash system preferences. That seems to make sense. Yeah. No, it it's not that easy. See, I think he's underplaying it. He's like, yeah, it's just get dash system preferences. I mean, hopefully you got the right version because if you don't, it's broke. Well, I don't know about where you're working from, but if I type git process, I get process. Uh, get, get, the, get the MD5 sum of a printed text. Oh, man. Shut up. There you go. Mike, what... what Game, uh, set, and match. What if your shows could Justin watch uh, to, to learn these commandlets? I'm going to say he needs to go back to the intro to PowerShell at this mm -hmm. point. <laughs> back to the beginning. Nah. That's good. Nah, be I'm good. good. So See, what you need to do is because you, you, you don't have a computer off and put it back <laughs> in the box. <laughs> you don't make a compelling argument. Like I know Python, right? I can right. do a bunch of scripting things, but I can also manage cross-platform stuff. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. yeah. And you know, with a Windows subsystem for Linux, eh, I'm good. I'm still good. I'm still good. <laughs> Man, I made this, uh, this or that segment and done a point counterpoint with <laughs> Python or, or PowerShell. You know, there's a lot of people who said, nah, you know, I'm good with NetWare. <laughs> My network server is fine. <laughs> mm, I don't know if that's a equal comparison there, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think it is either. I just like looking at Peter because he wanted to talk, but he doesn't know what network yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> just, just wake me up when you need me again. Are you ready? Are you done? Okay, good. Uh, hey, Mike, thanks for uh, thanks for jumping on and, and talking with us and, and giving us the, the scoop there because obviously we didn't know. Uh, any of that. Well, Don probably did, but yeah. <laughs> Daniel, Justin, and I had no idea what's going on. So, uh, so thank you for that, and uh, and thank you for being a part of this 150th celebration today. Thanks for having me. Lots of fun as always. What do we call that? Is that a bison? No, that's uh, centennial uh, and a half. There's like a word for that, though. I thought. Uh, anyway, all right. Well, we're semi centennial. Uh, sure. Yeah, happy <laughs> semi-centennial. Uh, we'll be right back, though. We got the news to get to right after this here on TechNATO with Tom Gazette. An IT team that's upskilled and ready for any challenge. How do you get there? Join thousands of other IT leaders and let IT Pro TV be your resource. With more than 4,000 hours of IT training, IT Pro TV gives your team a resource to go to. The most popular vendors, CompTIA, Microsoft, Cisco, Linux, Apple, AWS, and more. The hottest tech, cloud, security, networking, and more. What's next for your organization? 
Whether it's an implementation, cloud migration, more workstation support, or new technology, you're covered. With IT Pro TV, you can rest easy. Your team will always be ready. It's binge-worthy learning for IT pros. Get a free trial for your team today. Visit www.itpro.tv business. Hello and welcome back to the sesquicentennial. I had to look it up. But sesquicentennial episode. That's 150 years, though, so I don't know if it's just for any 150. <laughs> I don't think we've gone that long. We have not been doing this 150 no. years. We were the first podcast yeah, ever. Ever. Back at the Civil War. Yeah, I remember A.O. Wave come meandering by. I said, I'm a freedom, freedom slaves and listen to this podcast. Yeah, Justin and I were amazing. talking about it. There were a lot of long nights. I mean, the Civil War, you talk about the battles, but there was a lot of time in between to talk and come up with ideas. At, at that point, what was the, were there transmission of sound, like, were, was... You had records, right? Yeah, I don't know. Like, no, you had, like, the, the yeah. wax cylinder. Yeah, 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 that's what I was trying you to think of. the guy but... that uh, accidentally broke the... Like the one they had left. Oh, yeah. It was like one of the only recordings of, I don't know, something. Someone's voice. Like yeah. Alexander Graham Bell or something. Yeah. And it's like, smash. Yeah, that's not good. You're then not he swore on TV. <laughs> I think it was, on, it was on screensavers or something, right? It was like. Call for help. It was on Call for Help. Yep. I'll have to so check well. that out. Well, that's with Chris Perillo, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> for for not having a lot of detail, you've now gone into I, a lot of. My detail. brain is like slowly <laughs> unlocking the. He wore a red shirt that day. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's funny. It was Daniel crazy. just went into savant mode. He's like, <laughs> and the weather was nice. Yeah, it so was a Tuesday. Degrees. Yeah, I couldn't tell if it was like AWS Glacier, where he's just like slowly recalling the data, <laughs> or if it was like a fortune teller slowly pulling each. Yeah. Now I see. Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah, you have an aunt, it, it, an aunt uh, possibly an uncle named... And, and their name was a, with an, a, a B letter. or an R or a <laughs> 7. Their name starts with a letter, right? You're talking about my sister. Oh, <laughs> I knew it. Her name starts with a letter? Oh, no. What's there wrong? Was, Tell me what's wrong. There was somebody in this building that had a semi-recent death of someone they cared about. No? Yes. Yes. Fact. All right, uh, before this gets too sad, we're going to head over to our first article. This one is from MacRumors.com. The new 13-inch MacBook Pro announced with Magic Keyboard, 10th-gen processors, up to 32 gigs of RAM and 4 terabytes SSD, and more. Uh, so that's very exciting, and I think uh, we're going to focus probably much of the conversation on the keyboard, right? You know, actually, there's a couple of really positives out of this announcement. So first off, this is the last Apple laptop to ditch the butterfly keyboard. Which means that now all new Macs have a keyboard that doesn't totally suck. So that's nice, right? Uh, a lot of people complain about that keyboard. Uh, so that's it's, they're calling it the end of the era, right? That no more of that butterfly mess. Uh, but the other thing worth pointing out is that this is a 13-inch laptop, and they are doing up to 32 gigs of RAM. That prior to this, if you wanted 32 gigs of RAM, you had to go up to the bigger 15-inch laptop, which I know for people like me was a problem. Uh, in my opinion, this is the MacBook they should have been selling three years ago but are just now getting around to it. So a fixed keyboard, more memory. You can get up to four terabytes of outrageously priced storage if you want, uh, but it's a uh, it's actually a really good laptop. Don, and correct me, uh, I, I saw price quotes of fully spec'd out being around five grand. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot. Gosh. Well, it starts at <laughs> well, seventeen ninety nine. I think, is the... Yeah. So what's weird is, the, I think the SSD is the main contributor to price, mm. because I went to the Apple store after reading this one, because I was like, cool. Keyboard's awesome. I can get 32 gigabytes of RAM. And then I just went with one terabyte. It was 2300 bucks. Don't get me wrong, that's nothing to sneeze at. But 
you know what? I noticed in the pictures, it's a 13-inch Mac laptop with four USB-C ports. Ooh. Yeah, see, that, that I'm not going to use any of them because I just need to plug in normal stuff. Does it have a headphone jack? You shut your mouth, Pete. You know, that's a good question. Well, because I don't this, know. I mean, this Mac does. It's got USB-C. So I'm curious if they... It might, yeah. Uh, the four terabyte SSD option is an extra one thousand dollars. Yeah. So yeah, they're proud of that one. Dang, nice. It's expensive, uh, you know, but it is. Uh, it's good specs all around. Other than that, so if you've been holding off, the bump to thirty two gigs of RAM is really useful for people like us that do virtual machines and other things. Uh, and then, uh, unfortunately, it does still have the Touch Bar. So. Uh, uh, oh, but they wised up, and it has a physical escape key. Physical escape key uh, combined huh. with the touch bar. So uh, I think all in all, it's actually a pretty good laptop. Yeah, might so, be the Mac for me. Justin will still hit Siri accidentally when he's trying to hit delete. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Wow, you hit little girls? What is yeah. wrong? Yeah. <laughs> See. I'm like, listen here, stop touching my laptop. <laughs> he's over here drooling with candy. You know, those ring pops. By the way, why do ring pops still exist? Why wouldn't they still exist? So, yeah, the last time I ate a ring pop, all it did was I just drooled on my hand <laughs> with like sugary drool. And I was like, wow. My kids love them, man. We, we keep them and they, ah, they can't get enough. They seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's <laughs> germ warfare if I ever saw it. By the way, Don, I'm looking to try to see about this, uh, the ports that it has. But as I did that, I, I noticed uh, something I, I hadn't realized before. Uh, oh, it does have a headphone jack, yeah. But the the other size, you mentioned the 15-inch. Uh, the the MacBook Pro is the 16-inch yeah. now on here. Oh, that, that's Apple. right. They, they, went, uh, they eliminated some of the bezel and stuff like that to get a bigger screen in. Yeah. I forgot about that. So I don't oh, think yeah, it's, it's actually physically different to yeah. my 15-inch. It's just more screen yeah. right. for space, yeah. I'm sure they're rounding a little bit, uh, but then you've got yeah the MacBook Air as well. So you've that, got the the three main options, right? That would be weird if they were like it's a 15.782 inch screen. <laughs> yeah. At what point do we call it a 16? It's like you know when you get home and you measure your foot long from Subway, and it just never. <laughs> I've never done that. Is it not? Is it not actually? Peter's <laughs> like, let's see how they hoodooed me today. Lying bastards. <laughs> I, just I go back. It was more. You After that Jared cents. fiasco, you think they'd skip up and give me the whole foot long? No, there was a while where people were posting pictures of their foot longs with a ruler. I'm like, oh. yeah, I got, I got eleven. What are you spending your time on the internet doing? What do they, what do they have in in Europe? Do they have like the a meter long? Yeah. A meter long? No. No, that, like that'll feed a whole sandwich. company. Let's get a, get a few people together. That's 39 inches, roughly. Hey, yeah. only $5. And no refills on your soda. Yeah, hard to come up with a jazzy jingle for a 25 centimeter long. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember being in Alaska once, though, and, and the $5 foot long is not a thing there. So it was like, you know, seven ninety nine dollars foot long. And it was like, yeah. that just doesn't roll off. And time. people are like, man, that's a deal. There's no alliteration here. <laughs> Uh, all right, well, I, clearly we're done with the Mac if we're now talking about... Are we talking about McDonald's? The price of a subway in, in Alaska. Oh. They can't put a subway in Alaska, there's permafrost. Yeah. Can't go under... <laughs> <laughs> all right, Peter, what were you saying? See my eye roll for the people just listening. I'm sure you could still hear my eye roll. Uh, all right, our next article is from TheVerge.com. Maybe we should get Mike back on the line for this one. Microsoft confirms Windows 10X is coming to laptops amid big jump in Windows usage. Nobody cares. More, pe more people are turning to Windows PCs during the pandemic, so there. Peter, I actually think that's Windows 1010. 
<laughs> John and I were talking about that before the show. Like, how do I say that? Ten ten? Is it ten ten? Yeah. The but so this was 1010. this was the one that was originally made for dual screens, right? But they're they're just rolling it out on on regular old laptops. Yeah. So Microsoft announced Windows ten last year uh, as they were previewing some of their new devices, right? And I I keep mixing up the uh, Surface Duo and the Surface Neo. The Neo's the one in the picture on the article okay. here that has the the. Uh, keyboard that kind of snaps onto the screen. So the Duo is running a Microsoft version of Android, and then the Neo is running this new Windows 10X. No, let's stick with 10.10. So it's running Windows 10.10. <laughs> and, and, and so it was designed to focus on improving the user interface to work better on multi-screen devices. Well, we kind of got some previews of those devices. There were several people on Microsoft's campus carrying them around. People even felt like they might come out early, that we might see them as soon as August, but they were announced for December. Microsoft has since announced that no dual screen devices are going to come out in 2020, so it's now a 2021 thing. But while they're holding up the hardware, they're not holding up the software. They actually have noticed a 75% increase in people using their Windows computers during the uh, the pandemic. And so what they're saying is more people are using Windows than than ever. And so they want to get people uh, you know, with this new interface. And so instead of holding Windows 10 for the dual screen devices, they're going to go ahead and release it early. And that means that it's going to be here in 2020 that we're going to see this new operating system drop. Why are more people using... Windows because who the heck wants to? It's not that they're using Windows more; they're using it by default because it's the most prevalent desktop operating system. But I mean, people aren't going out and right. buying new machines. Well, they're so using the machines they already have, and then they're upgrading. If okay. I'm if That's I'm at true. work and I want to check my personal mail, I use my phone. Mm -hmm. I use my tablet. I don't use my work computer to check my personal mail. But when I'm at home, if I'm sitting on the couch. I'm not going to use my phone to check my mail when I could just walk into my my other room and use an actual computer with a full screen and a mouse and everything like that. So my wife would beg to differ with you, Don. Well, she's wrong. <laughs> she does everything and, on her uh, phone. <laughs> you know, there are there are a lot of people. They say there's like a cultural thing that in like Africa and India, people will use their phone as their primary compute device. Yeah. But for me, given a choice, I'll go sit down at my desktop. Did you Amen. write a paper on the Amen. on the on the Phone I don't know if you've ever used text processing on a phone because I've had to like edit Google Docs and like Microsoft Word documents. Not good. Oh, it's it is. I'm like, no, no, I need to move the cursor. No, no. Oh, it's deleted. There is no whatever. Cursor. Throw it in the the pond. All right. So what's what's new in 10x? That because obviously it was designed based around the assumption of, of multiple screens. But if, if you're just putting it on a laptop, are we going to notice much difference between? So this is the tricky part. Microsoft has been really tight-lipped on it. And so the only thing we really know is it has a more efficient user interface. The user interface is a lot more simple and designed to help you get to your applications quicker. So uh, it, it's like the South Park quote, right? It's supposed to be faster with better connectivity to the internet. Um, They're keeping it quiet that it's self-aware. <laughs> or, or that you have to get one of those like brain plugs out of the matrix. Yeah. Yeah. It intuitive. made itself and hasn't told us yet, yeah. so we don't know. Now, the other thing I find interesting is when Windows 10 launched, Microsoft said, that's it, we're going to go to a rolling release on this thing. And so, you, you know, instead of releasing a new version of Windows every three to five years, they're just going to do Windows 10, and it's going to get a major update every six months. And they've pretty much held to that with the various crazy six-month updates. So some people felt like we might just have Windows 10 the rest of our lives. Windows 10X, that might actually be the next step. This might be the equivalent of Windows 11. We'll, we'll have to see. But it's 1010. It's 1010. Yeah. What's a dumber name? Uh, Windows 1010 or Microsoft Power Toys? <laughs> Mm, I'm going to go with Power Toys. Power Toys? Yeah. Mm. I don't know how that existed for so long without us knowing about it. Yeah, I don't know. Every time you say that, 
Yeah, just think so of All of y'all have seen gun. Naked Gun. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's all I can think of. Every time. <laughs> so, yeah, I can think of so many inappropriate Windows 10 names. <laughs> trying to select which right, give one us will your, be give us your top five. the least career-ending. <laughs> Still career-ending, but it's the least career-ending. If it's going to be career-ending, just just go all yeah, the way. Just put your uh, chips in the middle of the table. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like there's like a deep, dark secret at Microsoft where it's just a bunch of like, Racism and bigotry. <laughs> <laughs> the rejected names pile. Yeah. Uh, I didn't make it through the focus group. We have a new notebook. <laughs> Windows <added>. Hitler. <laughs> like, Whoa. <laughs> Windows 10 SS. There you go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> How do we get red suspenders around this computer? You know, if you, if you take the X on the Windows 10X and you turn it sideways oh, a little geez. bit. Oh, and you break it. It's a lowercase T. Again. And all of a sudden, all the <laughs> laptops come with Doc Martens. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, and that's how they pick names. Yeah, we well, <laughs> we won't learn. replace them then. All right. Uh, let's now head over. To- <laughs> we should get hired as the naming committee for. Microsoft. <laughs> yeah. I, a new tagline. You will not replace. Uh, listen, computer. listen. I, all I know is if I'd have been on that committee, they're like, hey, we're going to release Microsoft Power Toys." Uh, hold up. I'm going to stop correcting. <laughs> uh, no, we're not. The twelve-year-old boy in me has an issue. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, all right. Next, over at blocksandfiles.com, where I head to every morning. A very specific news site. Blocks and <laughs> file-based news. Uh, this is uh, Backblaze, a sales big three cloud download tax slashes S3 prices. Uh, I understood those words individually. <laughs> it's a confusing headline. So uh, Backblaze has a marketing uh, campaign where they talk about the download tax that like. When you put data into Amazon S3, they don't charge you for that. They charge you for storing it, but they don't charge you for uploading the data. But then they do charge you for downloading the data, and it's actually pretty expensive. So to get your data back out of S3 costs quite a bit. Same thing is true for Microsoft Azure as well as Google Cloud. So um, Backblaze has really focused on offering really, really inexpensive storage. They've done an amazing job of it, uh, and so they've, they've been just destroying the competition on price. But a lot of companies don't want to switch over to Backblaze because they are, you know, you know Amazon is going to be around for years. You know Microsoft is going to be around for years. Backblaze, if you've never done business with them, maybe you don't know. Now, Backblaze has been in business for years, so I I find that they're perfectly reliable. But they did something really cool to help people move over to their service. They have released a completely Amazon S3 compatible API. And that means if you have software developed that relies on S3, you can actually just point it over to the Backblaze servers and use all the exact tooling that you've already got in place for S3 and now connect to their storage and save a ton of money. So it's a brilliant idea. And Amazon publishes their API, so it's not like they can undo this or break it. Like That support is baked in now. And Backblaze, I think, is really going to really gonna kill it with us. If Bezos is listening, he's like, oh, yeah, watch this. We're about to wreck this joint. Um, but there was something about this S3. So I've seen other services that provide an S3 compatible API. So if you use like Boto or the AWS CLI, those will still interact with that service. You have to do some configuration. However, the the article talks about like storage is what was it a third of the pricing or something like that, and then egress of data was one ninth. Yes, the amount of the competition. Yeah, but that. You would have to have specific workloads for that to make sense. Am I, am I wrong in that assumption? Because if you have a lot of egress back and forth from another cloud infrastructure, that does not guarantee that you're going to save money, right? 
Well, I mean, it, your workload in theory would be the same no matter where you stored it, right? So if storage is cheaper and uh, egress is cheaper, and those are the only two costs, then you're going to save money. Well, I was thinking like if you had a web app that was storing assets or whatever, if you're in the same uh, region, or so from the VPC, you won't necessarily pay for S3 to those servers like back and forth, right? Oh, that's true. But I mean, you would still be paying to get it from the server to your customer. Right. So, you know, there's still going to be that cost. And the egress for S3 is the same as the egress for EC2. So you end up paying that same price. I think it's, what is it, 10 cents per gig? I Something. Which I don't, adds up really fast. Yeah. I was just thinking like if you had a bunch of static data that came in and out of an S3 layer, it can be less, but just make sure you're not moving things over to you know, um, like AWS or GCP or whatever, um, thinking you're going to hey, just real quick, save money. Daniel, I'm going to run and get a coffee while they talk about this. Do you want anything? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Grab, grab me. Grab me a cruller. Okay, gotcha. I'll go, think of bear claw. <laughs> now, there are some advantages that Amazon still holds. For example, like they have a way more data centers around the globe. Uh, so if you're trying to do like uh, get data close to your customers, you got customers in Australia, so you want servers in Australia. Uh, well, actually, I does Amazon have any servers in Australia? I think I picked a bad example. I think the closest, <laughs> the closest one's Singapore. Yeah, or Malaysia or somewhere like that. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Backblaze has a data center over there. So, uh, But they have focused on really taking magnetic storage and providing it you know, massive amounts of storage. They have over an exabyte of customer data now uh, and doing it at a low price. So I, I wish them the best of luck. I think they got a great product. I was just playing devil's advocate. With it said, like if it was personal backup storage or whatever, I would go with Backblaze. I think... I think I know a couple of people who use Backblaze. Like they just sync it to Backblaze as like their secondary, uh, like they'll run it at home NAS and just have that sync to uh, Backblaze. That way they have offsite backups. Yeah, our uh, you know we have our uh, raw video storage for IT Pro TV is stored in uh, well it's stored in a couple of places, but it's about sixty four terabytes of data. And so I ran the little pricing calculator, and with Backblaze they were saying it would cost us roughly three thousand four hundred dollars a year, and on S three it would be almost twenty thousand dollars a year. So that's a huge savings if you were to store the data somewhere like that. Yeah, I'm looking uh, looking at a map. I don't see Australia. It's just, just kangaroos, though, and they're all on their phones. <laughs> so. I think you're looking at the computer. wrong map. Yeah. Oh, is that the wrong map? I'm sorry. So I saw a funny video, unrelated. Uh, it was a, a lady who is, she filmed a video of her talking to herself from three months ago. And, I saw that. and it was hilarious because she, she's like, you know, how are you doing? And herself three months ago says, wow, 2020 is shaping up to be a crazy year, isn't it? And she's like, yeah. And she says, man, the... Those Australian wildfires are crazy. You know, that's 2020 is really going to be remembered for you know, how the, how those those wildfires just destroyed everything. And her now is like, no, no one's going to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, she's like, oh, I got a lot of travel coming up. No, 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 no you, you don't. don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's a funny video. Yeah, it's good times. <laughs> uh, all right, our next article here is from ZDNet. Hackers breach Lineage OS servers via unpatched vulnerability. Lineage OS source code, OS builds, and signing keys were unaffected, developers say. Of course they'd say that. <laughs> so uh, do any of you guys use Lineage Actually, OS? if I was their developers, I'd be like, there wasn't a breach. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nope. Yeah, it didn't happen. That's the new, the new way to 
address PR issue. I, I hadn't heard of Lineage OS, but I had heard of uh, what calls the breach. It was a um, salt stack. Salt stack. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of hackers. <laughs> so I uh, I picked this article, and it's one of those times where I don't actually care about the headline. It's, there's a little <laughs> bit of tangential data attached to this. It's really important. Uh, so Lineage OS is a like an open source OS that you can install on Android phones if you want to like de googleify your your phone. Um, so if you're into that, I I personally don't load uh, custom firmware on my phone, but uh, uh, but they got hacked and and you know in a pretty bad way and and what the developer is saying doesn't really matter like they don't necessarily know how bad that breach was uh, but it was through salt stack so there is a vulnerability in salt stack right now if it is exposed to the internet hackers can bypass authentication and actually get into your your salt stack framework and if you're not familiar with salt what it lets you do I mean it's it's like a, a managed deployment. Uh, package so you can execute commands on other servers once you have control of it, which is pretty bad. Um, on a side note, there were other companies that got breached the same way, and uh, the Ghost blogging platform was one, but the Digicert Certificate Authority was another, and that's the real big news here because Digicert is one of the largest certi certification authorities in the world, and one of their systems, uh, which was the uh, oh, shoot, what is the, the CT, the Certification Transparency? There we go. Uh, one of their CT servers that uh, basically lets the world know when somebody gets a certificate under a domain name was compromised uh, via the salt stack issue. And so they had to invalidate a day's worth of transparency logs as potentially being tampered with. Digicert handled it a great way. You know, they, they went through, they identified what was possibly at risk. They went above and beyond and assumed things were breached that, that probably weren't. Uh, and they've taken the actions to stop that. But that's a pretty big deal. So if you have a salt stack deployed and it's exposed to the internet, you absolutely need to be patching that right now. And you need to start your incident response to see if you have been breached because it doesn't leave a whole lot of a paper trail uh, to find out what happened. So you've got to make sure you go in and do your research. Now, did, the, the, did the article say that there was a uh, patch for that? <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Daniel. It yeah. was very suspenseful. So. Yeah, sounded like it. <laughs> That was there. Did they issue a patch for salt on that? Uh, so they did. Uh, one of the challenges that the DigiCert team indicated was that they had deployed SaltStack in DigitalOcean because they were trying to manage these trust servers in DigitalOcean. And at the time, there were no private interfaces available in DO, so they had to do public interfaces, and that's why it was exposed to the Internet. So if, if you can just not expose it to the Internet— That'd be great. <laughs> right, you'd be fine. Uh, but if if it is exposed, and and people do that when they're managing public servers, sometimes if you don't have an out of band network like you should, then you need to go and do that patch. But the challenge there is, even if you go and do the patch right now, you've got to find out if it's already right. been taken advantage of. Well, wasn't there an article we didn't talk about this week about that you could uh, you could access these the data on a, an air gapped machine? The, yeah, I skipped over that one. Yeah, I know, but I'm saying it doesn't matter if you're not connected to the internet. Well, no, he, he he's talking about like making sure that that machine doesn't have direct connection. Like someone can't directly connect to it from outside of specific uh, and, parameters. And that hack requires you to actually have like installed the software that will allow for you to do that. Yeah. So you had had to have some sort of access. Yeah, and I think it's security 101 that, you know, when you have a management platform, when you have some kind of distributed or centralized management, that that needs to be in an out-of-band network. That needs to be separate from your regular systems, certainly not exposed to the Internet. Uh, in this case, 
some of these companies had a, a reason for it. Some of them didn't, and it's resulted in some pretty big breaches. How am I now, supposed to do management in my jammies? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was getting ready to ask you, Don, how am I supposed to get there? It's not like I could create another computer that I could harden and then, uh, never mind, whatever. Um, <laughs> Sounds like work. Uh, on Power on the flip side, um, since then, I was reading an article. This is not an advertisement. Uh, DigitalOcean provides private interfaces now. You can have a VPC that doesn't so connect the, to the internet. The DigiCert team, they actually, uh, Jeremy Rowley, I think was his name, uh, has been the, the one communicating with the, the community about what's going on. Uh, and they said that, yes, uh, that private interface feature has been recently introduced, but that they hadn't migrated their system over to it yet. So uh, so they got burned by it, and now they're kind of dealing with the fallout. Oops. Yeah, and you use code Justin for 20% per, uh, off your first order. from. Now, I, I will say that my respect for DigiCert has increased as a result of this, that, um, you know, they... They had the server exposed to the internet because they had to with the way they did deployments. So that makes sense. Uh, but they've also been super transparent. This is like the opposite of what happened when uh, Imperva had their compromise last year. So they've explained exactly what happened, what the hackers had access to, the extra levels they're assuming, that they, and you know, and just the way that they handle it is a really good job. So if you ever want to like see how this type of stuff should be handled, I think they're they're really putting a, a good foot forward. But what what do you think makes people like handle that differently? Like. If DigiCert is being so transparent, I really don't understand the gain of like trying to be deceitful about how you're handling a breach. Like if people know you got breached and you're not transparent about it, I just assume you have something to hide. Insurance. Insurance is the main thing. Like when you have a breach, if you have cyber insurance, in theory, that's going to insulate you from the negative impact, right? But the more you say, the more it kind of feeds to the insurance company to potentially have them step in and say, well, you didn't do your due diligence. Like you were negligent here, here, and here, so we're not going to pay your claim. So that's why most people clam up. Or, you know, maybe there's a legal liability. They don't want to get hit with a big GDPR uh, thing. DigiCert, in this case, the information that was compromised was public anyway, so there's no GDPR claim. And uh, I think they're just, in general, a pretty good company. I feel like it's cockiness too, though, thinking I can get away with it. You know, oh, I think if I spin it this way, I can get away with it. But yeah, that was Uber, right? We'll just we'll pay him a hundred grand and say he was a hired hacker. Yeah, yeah, bug a bug bounty after the fact. Yeah, that, that's the way to do it. That's smart. Uh, all right, our next article here is from Ars Technica. Uh, attackers exploit zero-day code execution flaw in the Sophos firewall. Yep, in the wild, SQL in injection exploits in 2020 are still a thing. So. I, did, I wouldn't think that the Sophos firewall would be um, susceptible to something that, well, I don't know. This one's a team, team lift, right? So uh, basically the management interface for the Sophos firewall is a web-based interface, and there's a SQL injection attack that can be performed on that management interface. Now, that means that if an attacker is inside the network and has access to that portal, they could potentially bypass authentication, get into the firewall, and do whatever they wanted. If, as the customer, you expose that management interface to the internet and allow anybody in the internet to connect to the management interface, an attacker could take advantage of it and get into the firewall, and that's exactly what happened. So, yes, there's a SQL injection attack that Sophos really shouldn't have had in the first place, but also, in order to really take advantage of it, the customer had to willfully expose that management interface to the internet, and too many people do that. I mean, that's what we were just talking about in the last article. This is kind of another example of it. How am I supposed to manage in my jam? <laughs> yeah. Listen, when I'm trying to do SQL statements on the crapper, 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to dump that SQL database. Ah, dump. Dash, so, dash dump. Oh, I, see. <laughs> I would normally say, like, just VPN in and do the work, right? And But people say, well, I don't have a VPN. But in this case, the Sophos firewall provides a VPN <laughs> built into the product. Now, I guess it does raise an interesting question. Like, we see this kind of thing happen. I mean, we got two articles right here of major companies having troubles. You know, Sophos specifically is a security type of company. Do you think that this was due through lack of due diligence, laziness? I, I mean, I, I see it all the time where people are like, if you get breached at all, you you just suck. And it seems like, man, I just can't. You, It's just a matter of time if someone targets you. That's what it seems like to me. Well, I, you know, I, I agree with that somewhat. But, you know, you and Justin, uh, Daniel and Justin, you guys are, are probably best poised to answer this, right? So, yeah. uh, obviously, Daniel, you know what a SQL injection attack is. You know the mechanics of it, how they work. Right. Justin, you're a developer. You write applications that take input in fields all the time. How hard is it to prevent a SQL injection attack? Uh, am I relying on tools or, and what I mean is like development tools, or am I writing them completely by hand? Either one. Um, so once you learn about them, that's one of the first things I do when I like I pick up a new uh, like a database tool, whether it be a query builder or uh, an object relational map or whatever it may be, is does it do default escapes? And if it doesn't, how do I do this? Um, because once you do, it's like a couple of lines. Yeah. And I think the, the biggest issue is if you're just starting out and you're trying to get things to work, you're just like, ah, whatever, I'll, I'll figure it out. It's not really that hard once you say, I'm going to put that at the forefront of my mind. With that said, if you're relying on tools, you're assuming that someone else, you're, you're kind of pushing off responsibility. that responsibility to someone else that you assume is also doing their due diligence. So does it escape? Yeah, by default it does escape, but maybe there's a push upstream that someone goes, oops, I accidentally made it default, not escape. Right, um, and, and then you might, Maybe you did a fantastic job of stopping all the SQL injections, but you missed uh, a broken authentication mechanism over here, or now you've got an injection attack over here. It's cross-site scripting, or it's code. You know, it's like there's so many ways in which someone could get in. We're just seeing that this one was a SQL injection, and it, it's it's really hard to do security well, which is why you see these companies uh, flounder on it so often. I I kind of just make the assumption that my app has a flaw. Yeah. I mean, I know that's horrible to say, and maybe I just got, you know, work myself out of any potential, <laughs> like, employment in the future. Well, and that's it's, why we do security testing, right? It's it's this cyclical thing where, okay, I'm going to go behind Justin and make sure that he didn't forget something, and if I find something, cool, Justin, go fix that. He does it, and then we continue to do that. And then these things are evolving all the time. It's it's they're always creating a new version of it. Maybe it's a completely different code base than the last one was. Man, there's so many moving parts of this stuff. Really, it's just a lot of times I think it boils down to someone's just found the right thing at the right time. And welcome to exploit land. I just want to put out there that I, I try to do my due diligence and make sure that there's not a flaw. I just prepare like there is. And during a pen test or some kind of uh, maybe even some static code analysis or something, something might crop up. Um, within the last year, I spent a bunch of time trying to hunt down like user input and going, okay, need to do that, need to do that. And I don't think I had an injection attack, but I had the potential for a buffer flow, buffer overflow because I did not l limit one of the input fields to a certain size. So somebody could have just shoved megs and megs of stuff in there. 
And I was like, ah, man, I spent all that time worried about injection attacks and, and I didn't have any, but then I had another exploit that I totally overlooked. So I, I know that you know, there's a ton of attacks out there, and maybe I'm being a little naive, though, in that a SQL injection attack is kind of a known entity, right? Anywhere you take input, you need to sanitize the input. You need to kill off special characters and things like that. Because it's a known entity, I I would assume, and I know what happens when you assume, that <laughs> You're a right every time. <laughs> security-focused company like Sophos, their developers and the people they've engaged with would be checking for that everywhere that they take input. So, you know, they must have missed at least one, and yeah. that seems like a mistake on their side. And then you combine that with customers exposing it to the internet, and that's where you end up in the situation they're in. Uh, so this is a, a very real exploit. If you have a Sophos firewall, one of their XGs, uh, you need to patch it. They, they've already released a patch for it. You need to do the patch right away. But that's one of those things where, um, I don't know if it was an internal library or whatever. Daniel and I have talked about this. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of times to development libraries and modules, you have to opt into safety instead of it being safe by default. So like injection attacks or serialization attacks. Yeah. Uh, I think of PyYAML. Uh, so up until recently, I think within the last year, if you loaded a YAML file, you could get arbitrary code execution. Uh, like, if I was like, yeah, give me YAML, and it would go, yeah. Uh, well, because PyYAML allows you to serialize function calls, and it would arbitrarily execute. But then there was a safe load. But if you didn't know about the safe load, you just said, oh, load it. <laughs> yeah. I like how it defaults to the unsafe load. Yeah, so <laughs> now, recently they have switched those where it's load, which is safe, and then you have to opt into unsafe load if you actually. That, that guy got fired from there from PyAML and started working at Sofa. <laughs> He's like, I'm done with YAML, but man, this SQL stuff is awesome. Yeah, I just want to say, Don, I, I'm offended that uh, that you asked Justin and, and Daniel that, assuming that I wouldn't know how to protect against a SQL uh, injection attack. And um, while you're right, I'm still offended. Yeah, uh, it's funny, Peter. No one cares. <laughs> Although I hear they're hiring a Sophos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, open yeah they, they, they need a good marketing. You don't really they, need to know about how to use SQL. And apparently <laughs> not. Hey, uh, I've got, uh, got another segment to get to here. Our listener mail. You've got mail. And in this case, it's actually uh, not necessarily like email that was written to us, but reviews. Because last week, Don said, we will give you shout outs on the podcast here if you give us a five-star oh, Did we review. commit to that? I, I was throwing that as an idea. No, we did it. Wait a minute. Is that how ideas work? Because <laughs> i got a bunch of them I'm about to throw out. Do it, yeah. Or no, our good friend friend Brian went immediately on and uh, and said, quote, awesome podcast. If you watch one podcast all year, make it this. They make tech news fun and educational. There we go. And he's, he's not wrong. I didn't know your dad's <laughs> name was Brian. yeah. <laughs> You know, Brian? Is that your sock <laughs> puppet account? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he just types with his face. Um, uh, we also, uh, while I was in there, I noticed a couple other really recent uh, reviews, too, so I thought I'd share. Uh, Rob said, I've added this one to the regular rotation. Love the format and always get something new out of it. So thank you, Rob. And then uh, someone with the name Simple Briefs, which I'm not sure if we're talking about his underwear of choice. Or, or legal documentation. Yeah, or it could be any of those. Uh, it says, truly one of my favorite podcasts, Holy Moses. This podcast is awesome. I really like the way mostly Don uh, 
hmm. but others too explain the, the intricate details of stories uh, or whenever something is brought up. I also like the way they have fun. Uh, okay, I like everything about this show. To end, I like the interviews they have. He's Keep never up watched the, great the show, hasn't No, he's clearly not watched <laughs> the whole episode, but thank you. Uh, thank you to them for, for their nice feedback. I just had a, a resolution today to, to push more buttons on this thing, so, uh, so there you go. All right, uh, got a couple things to let you know about some upcoming webinars. First of all, uh, we've got the Help Desk Health Check, Key Metrics That Gauge Help Desk Efficiency. Uh, we're pre-recording that one. We actually pre-recorded it today, but that's going to go out uh, on Thursday, which is today if, uh, for the day that this comes out. So that's Thursday, May 7th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, Joe Peacock uh, will be in uh, in the, the um webinar answering questions live. Um, so if you have questions, uh, even though it's recorded, you'll be able to get those questions in. Uh, but we'll also have that archived to uh, listen to after the fact. And we've got one coming up Thursday, May 21st, succeeding with the new Cisco certifications, uh, tips from the pros at IT Pro TV. So that's uh, Anthony Squera and Ronnie Wong uh, talking about all those new certifications uh, that have come out from Cisco and the training that is now available on IT Pro TV uh, for a lot of those. Uh, that's Thursday, May 21st. Head over to itpro.tv slash webinars where you can find out uh, how to register for those and how to see all the past webinars as well. And while you're on that internet, head over to go.itpro.tv slash technado. I got a 30% off coupon code there for your personal account. Uh, that's for the lifetime of your personal account. Uh, once you sign up for that, that's your price. You're locked in. Uh, we can also uh, uh, request some information about a demo for your business as well on that page. Uh, so head over to go.itpro.tv slash technado and check that out. Um, it's also game show month. Uh, we mentioned earlier with Mike uh, playing, what was that, Spin It to Win It. And we've got uh, Backdoors and Breaches. Coming up this, this Friday. Week, right, on Friday. And who's playing this week? Uh, this week is, let's see, Daniel, you're joining me, right? Am I the and I think Adam and Ronnie, is it? I don't remember. I don't recall. <laughs> it's gonna, yeah, I gotta look there's going to be we're, some people. We're here. professionals. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, we're playing again at the end of the month on the 22nd. 22nd, yep. Uh, and we're going to have John Strand, CEO of Black Hills InfoSec, is going to be joining us, the creator, uh, or one of the creators of Backdoors and Breaches. Uh, and also, I have tentative acceptment, acceptance from uh, Rob Carson at Sempersec uh, is going to join us as well. So that should be cool, a Rob. good time. Still trying to work out the details on that one. Uh, so hopefully, like having... Two top-level field experts uh, participate in the game should uh, make me look like a total noob. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so we've got Spin It to Win It is on uh, May 15th and May 29th. And then, as you mentioned, Backdoors and Breaches, May 8th and May 22nd. You can head over to go.itpro.tv slash maygames to, uh, to see that full schedule and make sure that you attend those. And actually, uh, on the Spin It to Win It, I know we're uh, actually having some, uh, some viewers uh, come on and play along. So uh, if you come on on the 15th, you can register to be a uh, part of the show on the 29th as well. So uh, so definitely check that out. That's a lot of fun. And it's just, I mean, it's just watching Mike get lose a turn for a good uh, 45 minutes, which is entertaining. So yeah, that's about it. Remember, subscribe. Uh, definitely if you leave a uh, five-star review, let us know and we'll, we'll shout you out as well. I can't see them all because they're all over the place at iTunes and Google and, you know, the other one. The internet. The, the internet. So, uh, yeah, definitely let us know if you do that. But, hey, congratulations again, guys, on the uh, sesquicentennial. 
show here. I, I still think that sounds like a city in Canada. Mm. Yep. It's right next to Saskatchewan. Saskatoon. 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 But uh, yeah, we, I mean, we couldn't have done it um, without me. So uh, again, kudos uh, to me for that. Uh, but thank you, everybody. And we will see you next week for number 151 right here on Technator with Tom Pizzette. See you then. Mm-hmm.